how good it is to see Kyle and Carl back in us, with us, in presence. And it sounds like Kyle and Carl would give an applause right back to you all. So thank you. Good morning to those of you online as well. I'm Jenny Fleetmeyer. I direct the Children and Family Program. And it's my joy to get to be here getting to share the word with you this morning. We're in the middle of uh, a series called All Things New. And if you've been tracking with us, we've talked about a new name. We've talked about a new song. And this morning we get to talk about a new commandment, not to be confused with the greatest commandment, but they're similar. This morning we're talking about a new commandment. Our passage, I want to set it up just a little bit. It's probably quite familiar to most of us in this room and at home, but we're in this amazing moment in the Gospel of John, and the setting is the Passover feast, and Jesus is with his closest tribe of 12 disciples. And he decides to do a very surprising act as they are about to eat. He decides to wash the disciples' feet, something that is usually reserved for a servant. And isn't that what he has come to show them that he is? So upon washing his disciples' feet, they again then begin to consume and enjoy their meal together. And at, towards the, the backside of the meal... He calls out Judas, one of his closest 12, and says, do what you need to do. He exposes Judas, the betrayal that he's about to perform against Jesus. And it's after Judas exits pretty abruptly that Jesus chooses to say these words. John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow. In this hurtful moment of betrayal, have you felt betrayed before? Have you felt beaten down before? It's in that moment that Jesus chooses to remind his people, love, and do it well, despite the circumstances. In fact, the bookends of this passage, we have betrayal, love, and then betrayal, because here he is betrayed by Judas, and really Judas is betraying all of his buddies, the 12, the 11. And then Jesus says love, and then wouldn't you know right after this, Peter soon disowns Jesus three times. And I couldn't help but think that if two of Jesus' disciples had a hard time loving a perfect human, Jesus, we're going to have a hard time as well. And that's why we want to talk about this this morning. It always comes back to the basics. It's why I love teaching children so much, because it always comes back to the basics and what I need to work on, what I need to lean into, and what I need to hold on to. But before we even get into the bulk of what I'd really like to discuss with us today that is so revealed in God's word, I wanted to just highlight two words, new and command. First, you just take this word command 
That's a powerful, strong word because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is a Christian, that is a child of God, if you are that, you are a person, we are people who are under authority. We are under the authority of Jesus. We are guided by his commandments. He has an absolute authority over us. And one of our self-identities should be, I am not my own. I am a commanded person by the one who has the right to command all beings everywhere. I am under him and my life is under his authority. No ifs, ands, or buts. I am a commanded person. And this short passage reveals a command that we are to live by. But the second word, not just command, the second word is new that struck me. What is so new about what he's commanding us to do? I mean, in the Old Testament, we read that we are to love. But in the Old Testament, we are commanded to love, but we don't have an example to follow. But now, with the disciples, Jesus is saying, the new commandment is do it like me. I'm here with you, and now you can follow in my footsteps and love like I do. Watch me, follow me. A new command I give to you is love like me. And he shows us that the most extensive way as he's washing his disciples' feet, as he eventually goes to what I call his earthly throne, the cross. He is a servant leader. And that's the posture of love he is modeling for us. It's a powerful, powerful two words that tee up this scripture today. But where I want to camp for the remainder of the morning is what it looks like for us, a compelling, motivating reason, what it looks like for us to love one another in this building, in this circumstances, in this reality of Grace Commons Church as we do life together as a community. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you waste nothing and that you can make all things new. And I ask, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts and our minds to lean into the truth that is so revealed throughout your whole written word and especially through your son, Jesus. Would you help us see how we can love even better? We thank you for your example to follow. And all of God's people said, amen. I want to take us on a time warp this morning back to the time of the ancient city of Ephesus. And I have a picture on the screen. This is the once bustling town, the ancient city of Ephesus. It's located in Asia Minor, Asia Minor along the Aegean Sea. I've actually had a chance to study here in Ephesus. And it's a prominent and important place back in the day because it was positioned along a major trade route. You see how it's, it's on a, a body of water that was very uh, traveled by. People lived in this city. There was commerce. It was active. It was a place that people would come in and out of. People would live in. It had power. It had influence. And a prominent feature in this city was this huge temple. 
the Temple of Diana. This temple is massive. It is massive. And it's where the Roman goddess of Diana supposedly lived. This gigantic temple reflected the priority of the people and the dominant belief system of the time. People would enter through these temple gates surrounded by columns, white and tall and strong. And inside these columns, inside this temple, the worshipers Diana and the priests would gather. And a massive statue of Diana, I just put it right there, a massive statue of her stood inside this building. Marble, white, gold, gigantic in all of her glory, if you will. And everyone could see this temple structure far out, miles out to sea, because it was huge. And in fact, today, what is remaining of the temple is one of the seven wonders of the world, because it was the, one of the largest temples of its time. This temple was a way to declare to the world how great goddess Diana was. And they did that by it being massive and huge. Look how great our goddess is. So imagine, if you will, that you were in a small Christian house church in Ephesus. Suppose that, and, and you didn't worship Diana like most folks, but instead, you were a follower of Jesus Christ. You were a follower of the way. And suppose that you and a friend were out for a stroll in Ephesus and walked by this temple just right outside. And your friend looked at you and looked at the temple and said, hey, I see where goddess Diana lives. Where does your God live? Ooh. You think to yourself, oh, good question. She said, this, this friend says, where can I go see him? Where can I go see how great that he is or she is? And you think to yourself, hmm, well, I know that God does not live in a temple built by human hands. Hmm. So you answer, quoting Ephesians 2.22, which reads, it, well, it may sound strange, you say, but me and my people are God's temple. And we are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And your friend kind of looks at you. You're God's temple? My friends of Grace Commons, Jesus, Jesus does not command us to be a place. He commands us to be a people. That's what Ephesians 2.22 is saying. Jesus did not command us to be a place. Jesus commands us to be a people. Now, don't get me wrong. We have this amazing building that we are worshiping in, and we have an amazing capital campaign, building campaign that is taking place. And yes, we want and need to be a property, a building that is strategically located in the heart of downtown Boulder to be used for Boulder with love. Absolutely, we want to be an amazing place. This is called stewardship of what we've been given. Too much is given, much is required. However, even more vital than our building campaign for us at Grace Commons is a building campaign of our hearts. 
We are to be a people, first and foremost, who love one another so well. And sometimes we get this right. And sometimes we could do better. We need to be for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is speaking to his relational tribe. He is speaking to his closest context of community. You know, it's the people that we sit next to in the pews. It's session. It's our common space groups. It's our Sunday school classes. It's our, it's our staff at this church. It's our youth groups. He is speaking to the people that we are in relationship with as a result of our unified identity of worshiping Christ. He says, love these people really well and do it like me. Because you see, our ability to love one another in the Christian community is our megaphone to the world. And unfortunately, the reverse is true as well. That our ability to be unkind to one another is our megaphone to the world and to each other. And I know there are people in this room, myself included, who have been hurt by the Christian community. And that's what Jesus speaks into in this passage. The Christ followers in Ephesus focused on being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not into a huge glorious building like their culture. But they wanted to be a group of people. And they believed the person of God lived within and among them. And we the people of Grace Commons are the people of God. And we too are to understand and believe that the person of God, Jesus Christ, can and wants and does live among us. We are to be his temple. But really, what does that really mean? As I was talking with my own family about this, how, how are we a part of God's temple? How do we make up a temple for God? Well, the good news is the scripture spells it out pretty clearly that we are to be that temple here is another picture. Apostle Peter captures this, sorry, another, yes. Apostle, Apostle Peter captures this idea when he reminds his readers in 1 Peter 2.5, you are a living stone being built into a spiritual house. You are a living stone being built into a spiritual house. We can't be a spiritual house without one another. But each one of us is a living stone. He's saying that as a Christ follower, you have a specific and important place and a needed place. You have a grand purpose collectively in the body of Christ, in the temple of God. Check this out. The physical temple, like Diana, was carefully designed. Look at this picture. That is a stone of the many that form a pillar in a temple. All temple stones were dug out and quarried from the same location. You see the quarries when you drive out on 93. All the temple stones were basically drawn from the same location so they could have the same look, feel, composition. Each stone was carved specifically for a particular location in that temple. So each was marked. It's like, here's a stone. Each was marked with like top, left, right. 
Number 10, I mean, I don't really know how it was, but they were very specifically quarried and arranged to have a particular place. This temple was so well thought out. And why is that exciting to understand? Well, you tell me, have you ever felt like you didn't have a place? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Have you ever felt abandoned or lonely? Whew. I think of coming out of COVID. I think a lot of people are feeling this. I think of all the displacement with the fires. A lot of people are feeling this. I think of just with people who have busy full lives and miss being with friends. I think of widows. I think of people who come into, these, into this church and at times feel, who are my people? Where is everyone? Things are a little jumbled up. And we need to know that we have a place. The passage that Carl read from Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51.1 reads, Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. How beautiful is that? That every single person who professes a belief in Jesus as Lord has been designed to be a stone in the temple of God. That's value, that's purpose, that's meaning. And as a follower of Christ, as Isaiah 51 goes on to say that we heard earlier, as a follower of Christ, you were taken from an awesome quarry. The same quarry as Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Peter and John, they all came from the same quarry, if you will. The Bible greats and God has been working on each and every one of us with the hammer of his word. That's what Jeremiah says. To shape us into a kind of stone that he wants us to be. That every chip that is carved off, every chunk that is as painful as it is to be taken off and removed, it's as if God is saying, I want you to be a part of my house and I want you to be a part of my temple and I want you and you and you, you all have specific important places in God's temple. And the ultimate purpose in our life, what we were created to do and be is to make God look great together. Not because we're perfect, but because we are doing our best to love one another, to worship him to be a stone in his temple together. One of my professors in seminary said this, and I love it. He says, God is on a massive public relations campaign to make his glory known. And we are to get into that campaign and make him known because God is intensely jealous for his glory. That is what drives him and that is what drives us. That is what is so compelling about this new command, to love one another. He says, if you love one another like I love, all men will know. Everyone will know. So look at your stone that you grabbed in. Look at your stone. Solid, kind of oddly shaped. Has some holes, some cracks. But it has value. It has value and it has purpose. 
If you choose to believe and follow Christ, you are a stone, as real as a stone can be. And God has a place designed just for you. I'm grateful that I have had this understanding since I was five years old that I knew I had a purpose in my life. Doesn't mean I have it all figured out whatsoever. I'm still longing to understand God's great love and to be able to live it out well. But we are to embrace our value and embrace our purpose that we belong. And when we join together, we can bring him glory. And our community around us is asking from a broken place, where is God? With all the devastation, with all the unrest, with all the pain, where is God? Where does your God live? And it's our job, our purpose, our privilege as Christians to make it clear. And it's paramount that we embrace our love for one another and that we show how great and mighty and caring and wonderful and beautiful the God of the Bible is. And we do this, as strangely as it may sound, as first prioritizing doing this well, loving one another well, being in the business of loving one another. We have to get this right so that the watching world and the needing community will trust that we are a loving bunch. If we're supposed to be God's temple, even more magnificent than this building, if we're supposed to be this, why then do we settle for this? That's the temple of Diana today. Or back in the day, I should say. It's had a couple different iterations. But this is a temple, her temple, in ruins. What if to the watching world and to God, we as a Christian community actually kind of look more like this? Divided, scattered, arguing, judgmental, not getting along, not leaning in. What if we look totally in shambles? Relationally. It's a terrible sight when you see God's people not getting along, right? We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Too close. People notice. It not only hurts our witness, but it hurts us. When we use hurtful words, when we lack patience, when we gossip, the temple is broken. God is hidden. When we use jabs of sarcasm, mean spirited remarks, God is hidden. The temple is broken. When we fight or remain bitter, or when we are overly critical and we don't forgive, the temple is broken and God is hidden. How do we restore the temple? How do we align the stones back in place? How can we fulfill this purpose that we have collectively? How can we be the kind of people God wants us to be? How can we be the kind of people that our community needs us to be so that they can come and stand in awe 
and worship the living God that lives among us. And Jesus just says to his disciples like he says to us, love one another as I love you. In fact, the leadoff batter and the fruit of the Spirit, right, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness. And the, the MVP of all virtues, Jesus said, is the, Jesus said it very, very clear in our passage today. To love. The greatest, the greatest of things to do is love. It's not how many books you've read. It's not our political party. It's not how many things you've done, uh, active service in the community. It's how we love one another that he's saying is a mark of a Christian community. An unloving Christian is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. So if the legitimacy of my Christianity, if the veracity of my faith can be summed up in four letters, L-O-V-E, then I better pay attention as to what it looks like and how I'm doing with living it out. Because love builds the temple of God. We've, we've heard some examples of what it looks like, this Christian community loving so well with Kyle, with Carl, and so many others at our church and in our community. Do you know that I heard, I called Amy Nelson, our wonderful uh, bookkeeper in our front office, $203,000 have been given to our church to help with fire relief. That's from people of this church. That's from people outside this church. Donations have come from all over the United States and from all sorts of different churches. Thousands and thousands of dollars. And now our fire leadership team, thank you, you know who you are, have been so intentional and they're being strategic about how the Lord wants us to be blessing the community and helping and serving. That's beautiful. That's incredible. I know that this faith community has loved me so well, and I, I am forever grateful. I remember when I first moved here at uh, 20, I think I was like 28 years old, fresh out of grad school from seminary. I lived in a host family. I had some seminary debt. I was being paid $20,000 as a salary, and some wonderful people, people from this church were like, she can't pay off her seminary with that. And I still don't know to this day who the group of people were that came together and handed me a check for all of the rest of my seminary loans. What? That's God's people loving each other. Or I think of when my three kids were all born pretty quickly with one another, right, Dr. Freeze? I think of the meals upon meals that we receive for weeks and weeks and weeks. This community knows how to rally around people and love well in the big things, the tragic things of life, the hard parts of life. And I can't say thank you enough. I could tell story after story. Love is in our DNA. And God's invisible attributes invade this world of illusion when we love one another. 
Love sounds so awesome when it's with people who are in great need or people you love. But man, what about when it's hard and it's challenging? Because we know it's hard to love sometimes when you are exhausted. And then when you, when you have compassion fatigue and when you feel like you just get another hit after another hit after another hit. Or even in the little day-to-day -day things of life. That's when it's hard to have this servant leadership mindset. It's almost like God has entrusted us with difficult people. And God is entrusting Boulder, God is entrusting Grace Commons community with some really challenging circumstances. And you know what he says? Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. If we're going to fight, we've got to fight to get along. As Christ followers, we can't give up. Because together we can make God shine in his temple. And as we are in and encountering ongoing for life, these difficult, challenging people, situations, seasons, how can we respond like a servant leader like Jesus? Extend grace, patience, speak the truth in love, hold my tongue. In fact, is there a phone call I need to make, a text I need to send, an email? Do I need to show up on someone's doorstep, someone that might be hard? Is there a person, a coworker I need to forgive, a friend I need to confront, a family member I need to walk with more closely? I don't know what it is, but who in your life do you need to do some temple work with? I think all of us can love better. And Jesus says, do it. I mean, imagine a world where people were not so much skeptical about what we believed, but were rather envious of how we treated one another. They want to know that God. Love builds the temple. So in this closing song, not closing song, but in this response song that the choir is going to sing, I want to invite you all to grab your stone and as an expression of your commitment and obedience to God's new command, love one another as I have loved you, I ask that you come forward with your rock and that you would set it in place on this chancel, on this stage, and collectively we would see, it'll probably be kind of smaller, collectively we would see a bound build forming a temple it's almost as if as we come forward, we are praying, Lord, would you build your temple in this place at Grace Commons Church? Would you help us love one another well? Would you help me love one another well? Pray as you come forward for yourself to love well and for our faith community to love well like Jesus.